If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Welcome to Pixel Sift, Western Australia's weekly video game show. Every week, we fight against the digital apparatus to make sure that we can get a weekly show of video games out there for you. We've had a fun day today. We've been uh, struggling against all of the technical difficulties we can, but um, we're going to bring you a show right now. We're winning now. We're online. We're online. We're We're back and running. Okay. Scott. We're talking about video game tie-ins today, but we're talking about with uh, movies and yes, games so off the back of one of the big movies that's coming out today. Yes. Well, it is out today. Yes. It is out, out today. Um, one of our team has seen it, but we're going to hush, keep hush about that. Um, so yeah, more specifically, um, not just tie-ins, but movie and game tie-ins like the Star Wars, uh, or like Star Wars games, the Star Wars. <laughs> the Star Wars. Do you watch the Star yeah, Wars? Have, have you heard about the Star Wars? I've heard, heard about the Star Wars. Um, I played a lot of Star Wars games um, back in the day. I played a lot of Dark Forces. There were so and, many of them. It was so easy. And there's lots of really good ones. So. But anyway, yeah, so there's hundreds of movie tie-ins, uh, games out there, uh, and we'll be talking about just a few of them. And Mitch, you've been out there collecting bits and bobs. You've been putting them on top of other things. What are we talking about for our other topic? Yeah, so basically um, this is a topic that I've spent time with. And um, so companion apps and game toys, you know, things like Amiibos, the Destiny companion app, things like that. How do they relate to games and how do they affect your buying habits and things like that? Where do they fit in? Mm. Yeah. Our final thing, we, our final topic today, we're going to be chatting to Drew Morrow. He's from Three Phase Interactive. They're a, a development studio in Melbourne and they have just, I guess, released to early access their game defect mm. space destruction kit we've had a good amount of time playing that game and we'll be talking to drew a little bit later on in the episode let's get the show under the way <laughs> there we go thanks james oh boy this is pixel sift pixel sift it's not pixel sieve it's pixel sift pixel sift that's right, you're listening to Pixel Sift. You might be watching Pixel Sift. Uh, you can jump onto twitch.tv slash Pixel Sift and watch our episodes live. You can also watch them on demand if you didn't watch them live. You can get on there and have a look. While you're online as well, you can also go visit www.pixelsift.com.au. We've got a brand new logo you can check out as well. It's still nice and colorful. You can have a look. It's behind me right now. I don't know what site it is because it's behind me, but it's uh, it's on there. You can also go to the website and have a look. You can, you know, look at it and, and, All the access and, and admire. We're going to be talking straight now into our first topic. We're going to be looking at the companion apps and the companion toys that have sort of made an emergence in the last couple of years and have, I guess, 
added to and added an extra layer of interaction for uh, the way that we, we play games. Isn't yeah, that right, so, Mitch? Yes, yeah, so they can either add interaction or take up space in your mantelpiece. <laughs> so basically, the, the Amiibos, the Skylanders, um, the Disney Infinity Toys, and as recently as the Lego Dimensions um, figurines that you can get, which are like small little Lego sets that pretty much do the same thing. So, so for people like- who don't really know how they work... How did they work? Yeah, so basically it's like a little NFC connection, which um, it's like a little, I guess, for lack of a better term, a little pad, which you put the figurine on. And that little figurine grants you access to certain things in the game. And that little figurine has its own individual status with you. And you can use it in battle in Super Smash Brothers, or you can use it to get different content, as I said earlier, and um, all sorts of things. Yeah. And it works a bit like one of those contactless pay cards that you yeah. kind of put up against a pay thing. If you've and got pay pass, it's pretty much yeah. like swap that and play. More. If you've used a card to get on public transport, very Ooh. similar to that as well. Yeah, see, I like I have very little experience with this kind of thing, but I do like it. Anything kind of, you know, furthering the uh, engagement in games is awesome. And also, like, it kind of uh, takes that avatar to let it, the next level sort of yeah. thing where you can, instead of just having a picture of it and, like, you know, following your avatar and whatever you can exactly like you said you can have it on your mantelpiece and it's part of you it was initially criticized for being very gimmicky but people have really jumped on board yeah i mean i I think i felt like that when i first kind of heard about it even with the earlier kind of editions of uh, skylanders and stuff i thought it was very kind of aimed at uh you know well kids and we stuff but i'd seen it just grow and become really embraced by um you know really good all you need to do is walk into any of the games aisles and you can see ever increasing number of figurines and yeah i got it wrong at the start and all those sort of things. Look, when I heard about this, I was like, well, there you go. There's some marketing person who's just said, hey, we can sell real physical things mm. to kids and we'll make them scarce so that they have mm. to race out and pay high prices for this thing and do all this stuff. I thought that guy's going to get a raise. The or, me- the or that lady's going to get a that. promotion. You just got a bonus. You've got a lot of cash coming <laughs> in for things. It's a clever idea and it's a very interesting way to kind of take the, I guess, it's not so much downloadable content, but I guess extra content for your game and kind of package it in a slightly different way. What I do like very much about them is that, especially with the Amiibos and the um, the Disney series, the character that you get as a physical figurine looks almost identical to the model in the game and also with Nintendo. So I like that very much. I think that that effort is nice. Is I it- think that's pretty necessary when you're doing something like this, yeah. you know, like... You don't just want to have it half-assed. You want it to, you want it to be pretty crisp. Yeah. And the way that they're designed as well is they've, they're quite obviously targeted towards the people who are into those uh, like vinyl collectible-style toys as mm-hmm. well. They're of a high quality for, for people yeah, who might are. not even play it for the game aspect, might like the characters themselves and collect them that way rather than going and using them as, a, as an element within yeah, the So it's a couple of different aspects of like the collection and the actually using them in-game and things like that. And then like just, you know... Fill that mantelpiece. But there's other ways now that you can also connect into the games. Now, we've got smartphones, which are kind of adding an extra layer of, of interaction between each individual game. There's some mm-hmm. of the uh, the apps you can get, for example, is the, the Fallout Pip-Boy app, which yep. hooks into your game and has the in-game menu on your phone. And then when they release the special edition one, you could build you know, the Pip-Boy, which actually sits on your wrist like a you know, fancy retro Wait, futuristic... Do you have one of them? I, I don't have oh, one okay. of those. It's very cool, though. It sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, I did the, uh, the cheap student version, All right. which is where I got one of those exercise bands that you have for <laughs> running around. Yeah. And uh, I put one of those and just tied it around my wrist. Nice. I had it that way. So it's uh, even better. Um, but yeah, that one actually kind of interacts with the game and you can do uh, control through that. And so, the interesting thing for that as well is for that, I was reading online, a lot of people actually use that as a way to, to introduce a second player 
into a, a predominantly single-player game. Yeah. One of the uh, stories I was reading, um, someone would go and play the game and have their friend sitting on the couch with them, making sure that they were keeping up with health, basically, keeping them, um, putting in the health. But the other aspect is that there's no sort of lock on if you're on the same network, anyone can connect into the game as long so? as it's open. So one of the other uh-huh. uh, stories I heard was someone would get onto the app and his brother would be playing Fallout on the computer and he would go and uh, equip a, like a red sequiny dress every time. So every time he pulled out, he'd be like, why am I wearing this red sequiny dress again? So, you know, there's a good, amount of, good amount of trolling in there as well. Yeah. I think there's definitely like Fallout is a good example. The Pip-Boy app is a very good example of a companion app, but like some of the ones that have really not delivered in the past would probably be, I guess, the, the GTA 5. Uh, the GTA uh, iFruit app. That was a nightmare. Yeah. It was actually called an iFruit app. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly like the in-game yeah. stuff, taking that in-game out sort of thing. Uh, but it, within it, they had um, your access to Chop, which was basically just a yeah. Tamagotchi-style feed me, keep me happy type thing. And, and it was a pain in the ass and yeah. barely worked at the start a lot and I had issues with it constantly. And when I finally had it running, it was, I realized it was kind of a waste of time. And the other apps in there were your access to your home vehicles so you could upgrade them or whatever. But again, really limited because your home vehicles were kind of rubbish. And you never really drive them again once you get your supercars and stuff. So I found it a complete waste of time. I think it's important for the apps if you want to make one. It needs to interact with the game real time. I think the problem with like another one, like Dying Light, for example, it was pretty much a mini game, like a Farmville simulator, but you just sent people out to get supplies and you just had to wait for them to come back. Yeah. And the the a only lot way, like, I guess, some of the free to play sort of timer games that you yeah, would play it looked, on that. reminded me a lot of Farmville. But yep. when I played it, essentially, you would need to sync up the PS4 at specific points, and then oh. to get your rewards, so they didn't just automatically appear. So it wasn't even like managing your inventory. So you, it was just it didn't flow very well. There's yes. a good example of how this did work well, but also sort of didn't work. Okay. Was the Mass Effect Three had a, a a companion app that came with it, and right. through that you could do mini games, which would increase your galactic readiness, which was like the overall score to get the perfect score in the end of the game. So you would go and do these things, and you'd push up your galactic readiness and do stuff in game as well. So if you're like on the bus home, you could do that, and it links up to your. Uh, online uh, origin account yep. so it, it all goes that through that way and that's the way that it links so it plays out straight away but in the end once you've done that the galactic readiness was basically worthless and didn't do anything in the end because okay. it was only three options to choose from so it was kind of like at the end of it it was like insult to injury they started off with a really great idea and yeah. just had no kind of end game yeah mm. and I think something like the, vault, the pit boy is really cool for fallout yep. but to use it yourself it's actually more annoying than pressing the button in the game so you actually have to pause and do it and it's not that helpful. Like, it actually takes it out. So, if you've got your hand on a controller, you only need to press, like, B or circle, and you go straight into it. But otherwise, you have to press a, a It'd be cool here. if it was synced up to whatever the app you're using so that as soon as you start engaging with it, 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 it like, freezes your, your game screen yeah. or, you know, Which whatever. is what happens when you actually press a button in-game. Yeah, exactly. But not when you press it on the There's no on incentive the app, so to do it by no, yourself. there isn't. Anyway. Oh, well, there's an incentive for you to keep listening. We're just about to go into our next section of this episode of Pixelsift. This is episode 13. <laughs> You're listening to Pixelsift, or you might be watching Pixelsift on Twitch. Pixelsift. Earlier in the week, I had the chance to chat to one of the lovely people that I spoke to while over at PAX earlier this year. His name was Drew Morrow, and he is a game developer from Three Phase Interactive. They are making a spaceship destruction kit it's called defect 
And it has an interesting mechanic in the way that you play the game in that every time you, you build a new ship for every level and the way that you kind of get to that point is interesting and, and Drew's going to get into that in a little bit. But to start with, when I was chatting to him, I asked him, how did the idea of Defect come about? Uh, well, it started out uh, with me being a huge spaceship nerd, obviously, and I was just enjoying myself making these little spaceship pieces and... You know, throwing them together myself and seeing what I could build out of the minimum number of elements, like how many recognisable ships I could get out of very few piece designs. And it kind of uh, developed from there. I'm Drew Morrow. I'm the designer and artist at Three Phase uh, Interactive, and I've been making Defect Spaceship Destruction Kit. It's like the initial idea was just let people build anything that they wanted but the gameplay problem with that was that people are just going to build the most powerful ship they can build and then that's the end of it like where do you go from there so that evolved into you building your ship and then losing it every time you complete a mission and that way you have to kind of build around the flaws of the ship you almost have to build some character into the ship and that character is what is this ship bad at because I'm going to have to attack this ship myself in the next mission. What do you have to consider when you're actually making a game like this, when you've, you've got something which has got such customization in it? What do you have to think about? There is a lot to think about. It can be difficult to design missions for it, because as you might have already found out yourself, it can be a little bit difficult going in when you're a player and figuring out what the objective of the mission is, like what kind of ship you'll really need. Is this ship? Is this about building a fast ship or is this about building a, a heavily armoured ship or a ship with loads of guns or missiles or something on it? And it's communicating that to the player without straight out telling them what the solution to the level is. I never want to go into a level and just tell people you're going to have to build a fast ship. I want them to pick up the clues from the environment and from what's happening. Even though it's quite obvious a lot of times, you always have to design around that from the word go so that players get it. And when you're designing a game like this, how do you balance, I guess, the difficulty versus the reward? Because it can be quite frustrating when you're trying to go through these these missions and you have to rebuild and restart. What, what have you put in place to make sure that people stick at it until they, they win the mission? Uh, well, we always want there to be you're just one tiny step away from getting the next really good piece. So uh, the progression should always feel like, oh, I just unlocked two pieces in the end of that mission, but there's another one that I'm only, you know, 30 seconds of play away from from getting, and that looks like a really good one. So that's how we want to keep people coming back to the next mission is because that piece, which is suddenly going to make the game easy for them, is almost ready to unlock. But, of course, once they've unlocked it, it'll also make the game harder for them because it's a really good piece and it'll make their ship better. When you, I guess the element of having your ship kind of disappear and having to fight it in the next round. When I was playing the game, I was, became quite attached to the things that I was designing. And then in the first couple of real levels, I didn't really realize I was going to lose it every single time. So I was kind of like, oh man, I was really enjoying that. That's that's good because I want to keep lulling people into a like false sense of security almost. It's like at the start of the game, you can almost just keep reloading your ship and making tweaks to it for each new mission you go into. But there will be points later on where we drop weapons on you that are like super cheap and super great and you'll suddenly be really happy that you found these amazing weapons. But as soon as you use them, hopefully you will realise instantaneously that uh, using these super weapons is probably a bad idea because I'm going to have to somehow defeat these weapons again in the next level. So... 
it'll be always like a game of tempting the the player into doing something super powerful so that they immediately regret it after they've done it. So how do you balance between having enough parts in a in in there for people to build the ships that they want to build that are the reminiscent ships versus overloading people with too many different elements? This is a balance we're trying to make at the moment. We're doing the early access at the moment so that we can find this stuff out. Um, we're pretty generous with how many pieces we give you near the start of the game, and I try to make it so that jumping in and doing some pretty obvious ships, like making an X-Wing or something, is pretty possible from the start. But um, if you are a giant spaceship nerd, you really will have to work at doing, like, and unlocking enough pieces to build some of the more obscure, like nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies science fiction ships that that uh, that you might remember. So you've gone for the early access on Steam, and why did you pick that sort of model of release? Building up a community is something that you should be doing all the time. So we're using early access, and we're using Kickstarter, and we're using everything we can to try and build up a community around the game before we get to the real release. What, what are some of the strategies you use to kind of keep people on the on the hook, basically? Uh, yeah, this is a real trick. We always try and, uh, like, we tweet all the time. We, we keep our, our blog updated all the time. We're constantly doing uh, updates for the early access version of the game, new pieces. We try to appear at shows because... Keeping people coming back all the time is is what everything on the internet wants to do these days. Is it a bit of a juggling act? It's an extreme juggling act. Yes, it's. We could easily spend half the week just doing social media stuff, but we have to pull back from that a little bit because it takes up so much time. We're already pretty loaded down as far as the game design document goes about what we're uh, going to put in the game. So any extra thing we decide to put in is just, you know. We can't hand it out to anybody else. We're all doing it ourselves already, so it is uh, quite difficult. But we do manage it. We've been doing it for a while now, so usually when we're planning things out, we've got a fairly good idea in our head about how long they're going to take or how difficult it's going to be. And what's some of the, I guess, the best feedback that you've received from from people who've been playing the game? Um, Has anything that someone has suggested directly made it straight into the game? Uh, Yeah, quite a lot of stuff. As soon as we released on Early Access, uh, a bunch of stuff on the forums was... Uh, extremely useful to us. We didn't even... uh, Because there's a lot of ways you can play the game, because you can build a lot of stuff uh, exactly the way you want, rather than the way we've told you to, uh, we had no idea about some of the stuff that was going to happen. Like, we always play the game exactly the same way, therefore we don't know what save bugs uh, are going to happen, and that's the really useful thing about early access, is just finding people who play the game completely the wrong in inverted commas way so that we can we can fix it up based on that could you make a game like defect without a model of early access like would it be possible to qa the whole game and get it to a point where people would be happy to play it if you didn't have that available um i thought it would be like before we did early access i wasn't for a long time i wasn't really considering doing it i thought okay we'll just go straight to release as soon as we can but now that we have done it, it's revealed so much stuff that we needed to know that I'm very glad that we did do it. We don't have the resources to have a, a proper a gigantic uh, testing team or anything, so early access has been super useful. That was Drew Morrow. He's from Three Phase Interactive. They are a game dev studio from 
over in Melbourne. You can have a look at their website. It's defectsdk.com. That's D-E-F-E-C-T-S-D-K.com. Um, defect, not deflect. It's um, that one there. You can check that out. And you can have a look of a bit of a, if you were watching us on Twitch on the stream while the episode was on, you could see a bit of me playing. A little bit of playing. Yeah, I got video. a couple of hours clocked into that. I, mm. I did enjoy myself. I uh, loved the visuals and everything. It was fantastic. Uh, gameplay. It's, do you know what? It, was, it was difficult. They don't make, it wasn't exactly easy. Yeah. Um, but it did make you kind of keep go, going back. And the, then the building dynamic in the, for the ships was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. What was really interesting, actually, I didn't realize, I know you would have heard in the interview as well, that your ship would be taken over. Every single every, level. Well, every yeah. successful level. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. man, it's happened again. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's your ship from each that build is taken into the next so level. So tell me about that. So you so you have to fight your vessel in the next mission. Yeah, Basically. because your crew yeah. defects oh, or mutinies. Right. And I thought I was reading it as like defect as in like defective. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how I, I originally read it. Um, but then they defect on okay. and, then, and then you have to fight them at yeah. the end. So, so like you said, you're making too good and you're like, oh man. But it's really interesting. You get more cash, so you make better ships. It's really, like, it's really good. It's a good kind of balance between mm. that. You can check that out there on Early Access as well, and they keep uh, updated all the time. You can see there's been lots of updates in the time since I've had it installed on my computer. There's been at least three updates, so yeah, they're pretty good to do. Good stuff. Let's jump into our next topic. <laughs> That's right, you're listening to Pixel Sift. Now, you may have been up pretty late last night checking out one of the, the bigger movies that's been coming out this year. One of the, a little bit little bit of hype about it. Little <laughs> bit, a small a smidge, bit of talk around town. A bit of hype about it. Uh, and that, of course, is the seventh Star Wars movie. Now, Star Wars is an interesting genre. I, I, guess, an on, I guess it's a, a franchise that it, in of itself in that it, it has had... To, it seems to be more like a, like a cultural... like grounding point for a generation it's had so many different i guess updates and expansions and you know adaptations and different types and one of the things it actually does really successfully um that not a lot of other uh, franchises can claim is that it's actually had a really solid back catalog of game adaptations and expansions and, and different stories being told within the star wars universe so we are going to have a little bit of chat today about game and movie tie-ins um about how They've been done well, yeah. and how they have been done, not so well, <laughs> and kind of I guess explore the topic of that. So I, we, I guess we'll go straight, throw it straight open. Let's just what, jump into Star what Wars. What were some I of feel. your favourite ones yeah. that you played when you were growing up? Um, for uh, on the Star Wars tip, uh, Shadows of the Empire on sixty four. I'd have to say was probably the one I sunk the most hours into. Um, it was one of the first games out on sixty four, and I had it quite early. So. Obviously, I spent a lot of time in it. I think it was popular as well. I think they sold like a million copies within the first year or something. So, mm. it was a very big game. But I, mean, I loved it. Had, it. It, did, it did have the added benefit of being one of the few games that was available yeah. at the time. But, I mean, out. it was great though. It was one of the first, for me anyway, really kind of effective games as in like sticking you into that Star Wars universe in 3D and all you get to do all the things. Like, yeah, I loved that. Uh, but, you know, I was a big fan of all the Super NES ones as well to be early on. Yeah, well, I guess um, not really Star Wars really, but James Bond. <laughs> Yeah, Golden okay. Yeah. GoldenEye is the big one. That was another was was like another franchise that has had, not recently, but has had solid games. Yeah. Going even back, uh, True Lies on uh, Super NES. I don't know if anyone remembers that. That was a really good game. I didn't I loved know it. that there was a True Lies adaptation. Yeah, it was fantastic. 
But I really enjoyed it. I, I don't you, know if it stands up anymore. Is it because you memorized the plot because it was on TV every three days? I was a big fan of the days, movie as well. Just so. about. <laughs> just yeah. about repeated quite heavily. Um, there are a lot of other good adaptations. I think the thing with Star Wars is that it had... When, when I guess when... Lucas was in charge of all of this. There was an, a dedicated game development company called LucasArts mm. that was in charge yeah. of making all these things. And it meant that in-house they had people who knew about the franchise, had all access to all of the you know, the story and the lore documentation and, and were able to make it, I guess, as true to the yeah, real the, universe They as just possible. made it really good quality and they stuck exactly mm. that. They stuck to the lore of the universe. Um, I mean, another one that I really liked, again on 64, they just killed the Star Wars. Uh, Rogue Squadron. Yeah, yep. that, that was another one that kind of I felt was just a really good glimpse of the Star Wars universe uh, at that stage. You hadn't kind of, I mean, like I said, the SNES was before that, which that was a side scroller basically. Um, it's good quality and attack, uh, challenging as they were. And it's interesting because LucasArts actually made a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but it made a few other non Lucas franchise games. So they made Indiana Jones games as well. Yeah, cool. Um, some of the I ones already were, also played those. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. Fate of Atlantis is one that uh, I remember a lot and is an old point and click adventure game and when you installed it it came on seven floppy disks and you had to go and change all the floppy disks. Um, but they also made games like uh, Grim Fandango which has just been re-released, um, Day of the Tentacle as well. Um, lots of other games as well that have come out of that sort of They franchise. were even in charge of those Lego Star Wars games. They did have a bring yeah, it back. They did have an aspect of control over those before. Yeah. So LucasArts kind of, I guess, got dissolved as it was, you know, absorbed into the machine of uh, of that's, Disney. That's a bit sad, actually. It is a bit yeah. sad because, they, long... like you said, they 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 stood up as a long time for a long time doing great things in both the movies, I guess, <laughs> but in mostly games, I guess, in the mm. more recent times. But I loved all of the Star Wars games that I can think of. I think like, they really kind of still stand up. As well, yeah, like when, it's when a pod racer, I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, yeah, and I did. I played it a lot. I tried to like it. <laughs> like, couldn't couldn't make it happen. When Battlefront came out recently, there was some old footage of some Battlefront three. Well, I guess it wasn't. Yeah, well, well, that was leaked, I guess. And then that looked like you you got into a starfighter on a planet and then flew up into space to fight spaceships. It's wicked. That's pretty wicked. So, In just, Battlefront two, there was a, a few maps that were actually <laughs> like that. There was yeah. a, a a few spaceship based maps mm-hmm. and the spaceship was in the game and you basically jumped into it like a vehicle much like you yeah. would in Battlefield yeah. and then you transitioned straight from like a ground assault into into a space assault and I think that was one of the criticisms that came out when Battlefront you know Xbox it's One edition different. was not part of that there was a different mechanism for doing that and you know maybe better or worse we don't know but um, it was something that people were, t- were talking about when it was coming out there on another uh, recent release of an old kind of franchise brought back to life, Mad Max. I've clocked up quite a few hours on that one as well uh, with my mate Sean V. Wise. Yeah. Um, I find it, it's been pretty good so far. Uh, it seems like it's got a lot of legs and I didn't think it would mm-hmm. um, on this kind of downside. It's got pretty sludgy controls and all that stuff. Um, and is it, aren't some of the Australian accents a bit... Some of them are a bit questionable. Yeah. But like they've gone to the fullest extent to get the Australian cars like and you know, you know so everything is very believable uh, except for the kind of the whole place looks very America yep. rather than like because we, we're a bit biased and we know what it, kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Um, but Sean, who I've been playing it with, does uh, assure me that if you play it enough, which I probably haven't, uh, you do get the kind of controls, and they're just a little bit different. You have to. Well, yeah. to be fair, the Mad Max films don't really look Australia. I mean, well, the recent one anyway. That this is based to be honest, on, I haven't yeah. even seen the new one, oh, but okay. I've seen the old ones like squillions yeah. of times. The old ones, absolutely. The new one, honestly, it's a desert. 
Yeah. So See, I, actually, I, they spoiler. were really it's, intending yeah. to film it in Australia. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was filmed in Australia. It wasn't actually. Oh. At a last moment, they had to go and change their shooting location. It was shot in Tunisia, which is the same place that uh, Star Wars When You Hope is shot in. Okay. And the reason why is because we had an unseasonable uh, winter rainstorm and the whole desert started blooming basically <laughs> so it didn't look like an apocalyptic this wasteland this is it looked like a lo- road at all a lovely flower flower, road. flower meadow meadows mm-hmm. and stuff like that so there's plenty of other adaptations i guess that people can have a look at as well there's been better and worse ones there are a lot of kind of i guess there's this term called shovelware where it's basically someone sticks a name on a particular low quality dude have you ever played the aragon movie game on ds that thing was the original ET game on Atari. I think yeah, it was yeah. like perfect. The perfect yeah. shovelware yeah. of that particular thing. Do you know what? It's a documentary yeah. on that. I saw it just the other day. Oh, I haven't seen it, but I saw it pop up on the, uh, the flicks. Yeah. I'm going to definitely watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, can, I didn't want to, you know, do unfair advertising, so I'll just keep it. Get it on the flicks. Keep it neutral. This podcast is brought to you by the flicks. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's plenty of other adaptations. I think the problem you can have is if it is just a cash-in on a high... Profile release. Yeah, I and thought it, this Mad Max was this, and that's yeah, why I'm being hard on it. But yeah. I think it's actually a good game underneath all that. You got it there? Maybe. You reckon? We'll have to try it out. One of the recommendations I heard was actually mute it, put it on subtitles, and oh, then it becomes like a, that's a good weird idea. art film. Because yeah. then it's like there's some bits where it goes black and white. Yeah, and and everyone's, black and white to be there. honest, I didn't find there's enough kind of text or you know uh, talking in the... Um, didn't really. ...to upset me too much. Yeah, it didn't well, get There's not much talking in the movie either, so... But uh, other games. So we got any other we're going to pop in there as highlights from filmed movie or movie to film? I really enjoyed the Bugs Life game when that came out, I've but that might have been that. because I was okay. a child. <laughs> and uh, but that was quite fun. I remember that being quite good. Um, and there's a few other adaptations as well. I do appreciate the movies that have gone to film as well. Like yeah. uh, even though it, it, uh, we said it before, it wasn't a complete uh, success at the films. I don't think uh, the cinemas, mm. but Final Fantasy. Yep, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was amazing. Like and visually, I think it still holds How up. How many of those are there? Because I want films. Watch, yeah, two. There's two. Maybe two. Yeah. Producer James says two. Never seen them. Seems like my thing. Yeah, I think I think you I think you dig them. Yeah. You know what else you dig? The <laughs> a bit I? more of Pixel Sift. So if you want to get on to pixelsift.com.au, you can actually check out all of the rest of our episodes. Because unfortunately, we've reached the end of our show for today. Uh, now, Mitch. If people want to have listened to our episodes, where are some other places other than pixelsift.com.au that they could visit? All right, so pretty much they can um, visit our iTunes. Well, not our iTunes, but you can find us on iTunes. Our iTunes, and, it does. Yeah, okay. I'm, we're calling it. Let's get ourselves on, let's get ourselves on iTunes. And um, our episodes are also available on Twitch and um, something else. Pocket Casts. Oh, Pocket Casts. We're yep. going to be on Stitcher soon. You can be on anything you can find. I don't find. even know what Stitcher is, but I want it. You can find it anywhere you can get a, an audio package. That's where you're going to find us very soon. And Scott, social media, where yeah, are we? All the usual social medias. We've got facebook.com forward slash pixel sift, twitter.com forward slash pixel sift, and also twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift. Thank you very much for listening in today and bearing with our technical difficulties. Thank you very much. We will be back again in two weeks' time. We're going to take a little bit of time off during the Christmas break to see our families, I guess, and spend a bit of time with people away from the studio. Um, But we'll be back early next year. You guys are my family. Great Pixel Sifty content. Thanks, Mitch. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Everyone. (laughs) 
did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 